the Lord's Prayer. I encourage you to turn with me in Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 through 13. We're going to look at that passage together today as we seek the Lord in prayer, as the Lord's Prayer is God's Word. It's God's Word given to us that it would become our words, our words of prayer back to Him. This, it seems that almost every text of Scripture that um, I prepare for preaching presents its own little puzzle to solve. And it's not just a puzzle of, of somehow understanding the Scripture. You can't get more straightforward than the words that are presented here. Really, the puzzle is how do you preach this text? This text isn't supposed to be preached. It already was. This text is supposed to be prayed. And so this morning, we begin that way. We're going to spend time thinking our way through the passage. And then at the end of our time this morning, we are going to go back to this text the way that we're supposed to handle this text, which is not preaching, isn't just thinking, but rather praying. I was thinking this week about a number of different ways that we could go about preaching through this passage. Uh, And the main thing that became clear to me is there is just no way that we could do justice to this without doing an entire sermon series on the Lord's Prayer. One of the things that I, I was thinking about would be just beautiful to do is to look at the Lord's Prayer active in the life of the Lord. To just consider the times where we see Jesus walking out in dependence upon the Father, the reality of the Lord's Prayer. We're going to consider one of those times later on. But you can, you can remember maybe the, the temptation in the wilderness, right? Um, man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And so he's in utter dependence upon God for his daily bread. And in that moment, his daily bread was to continue the fast. We can consider the life of Jesus as really a life that is walking out a dependence upon the Father, the words of the Lord's Prayer. The Lord's Prayer is incredibly comprehensive for us. But the Lord's Prayer is also actually, in many ways, we're not going to stop calling it the Lord's Prayer because that's what it's been called forever. But really, it's not the Lord's Prayer. It's the disciples' prayer. That's who it belongs to. The Lord is giving us, in Matthew chapter 6, in the midst of his sermon, he is giving us our prayer, a prayer that that belongs to him, but by means of him becomes ours. And this morning, um, we are going to look at really three things to begin our time, just in general reflection, and we'll work our way through the passage the first thing that we see in this passage is the God who sees is the God who hears. This prayer is situated in the section on the Sermon on the Mount here in chapter 6, which focuses on the Lord's instructions regarding our devotion to God. Specifically, he's giving us devotional instructions regarding generosity, regarding prayer, and regarding fasting here in Matthew chapter 6, and the consistent repetition throughout the whole of this section is that the Lord sees what is done in secret. More specifically, if you look at the words that are actually there, you'll see it's the Father sees what is in secret, right? Now, there's a warning for us there, right? We can't hide our hypocrisy. 
Jesus speaks to the hypocrites, and he says that we should not be like the hypocrites. And one of the reasons why we should not be like the hypocrites is because the Father sees what is in secret. There's no hiding if you're a hypocrite. Let that be a warning for we, uh, for us in our hypocrisy. But it's also an encouragement. Jesus gives us an explicit encouragement that the Father who sees in secret will reward those who are devoted to him. Last week, we saw that the great reward of the disciple is who's devoted to a pursuit of the Lord. What greater reward could a person have who pursues one thing than to receive that thing? What greater reward do we have who pursue our God than to receive our God? But when the Lord gives us this prayer, he's making an implicit encouragement as well. If our Father is the Father who sees what is in secret, then our Father is also the one who hears what is in secret. And so the encouragement is this. Let us speak to him. He's the the Father who is near to his children. We have the ear of the God of the universe. Unlike the hypocrites who make a great show with their words in the streets, we have the opportunity to come to the Lord in words of worship and petition. The Father who sees in secret is the Father who hears in secret. A second thing that we see, just generally speaking, about this prayer is our need for prayer. This week, has been a very challenging week for me personally. And there's been one consistent reminder that really the week began with on Monday and ended with on Friday, that in the midst of these challenges, we are a people in need of prayer. Cross Point Coast was founded in the context of prayer, very functionally and literally. I remember Sandy asked me when we were first moving over here to Brevard County, and we knew knew a total of like five households, okay? We knew maybe 10 people, and we'd known them for a couple of months, okay? She asked me, how are we going to meet anyone in this county? Who in the world is going to be a part of this church? My answer was simple. What I'm going to do is I'm going to put my head with my nose in the carpet next to our bed, and I'm going to beg God to meet the people that belong to him in this county. And that's what I did. And as people were added to our number, that's what we did. We begged God that he would, by means of his gospel, grow up his church. By grace, this is what I did, and this is what God did. And I say it was by grace because prayer and its fruit are a gift of God. Prayer itself is a gift of God because he is the one who is inclined to hear us, right? And any fruit that comes from prayer is the gift of God because he is the one who does it. Brothers and sisters, we're not only a people who are in need of prayer, we are a people with the ever-present gift of prayer. We have a father who sees in secret, and so let's Speak to him. That's the gift of the disciple. That's the gift of being a child of God, that we have a father who listens. But this is the issue. 
Over the years, while prayer informed by the word, impassioned by our need, has been a reality throughout the whole of the history of this church, and it's not a very long history, I, at the same time, while that has been true, I would have a hard time making an argument that the church has grown in our prayer together. And that is more than a mistake. It's more than an oversight. It's my prayer this morning that the Lord's Prayer will awaken our desire to pray together. And that we would grow in what the Lord founded us in and has continued us in, that we would grow by means of his word this morning, that the Spirit of God would lead his church. To be clear, what I mean by lead his church isn't that he would lead a strategic staff team to come up with programs by which we would pray together. It's not what I mean. It's not what that can mean if the scripture means what it means. When we talk about the Spirit of God leading his church, we mean that the Spirit of God would lead you, that he would lead us to discover how to pray together. So may the Spirit of God lead his elders. May the Spirit of God lead the staff. May the Spirit of God lead his church to teach us how to be faithfully obedient to our Lord and how he's taught us to pray. Specifically, I would pray that the Lord would show us how to gather. Just a couple ideas the way that this might look, that we would arrive early to celebration service just to gather in this room silently for prayer. Some of you are like, well, I've got kids and that might be complicated. They can pray. Or give us a reason to have people here earlier so that you can pray. Let's figure out how to gather in small clusters and circles for prayer. Let's learn how to linger a little longer at community group to pray over the concerns that were shared at the meal. You know those concerns that were like behind the story that someone told that was funny, but actually it involved hardship and you could hear the cry for prayer. So pray that we would create regular times during the week, perhaps at the office or dispersed in homes in which partners in the gospel can unite in prayer. The bottom line is this. We do need prayer. We do need to pray. It is the gift of God that we can pray because the Lord has given us the promise of reward. We who pray to the Father get the Father. Now, I have a question that we need to ask before we look at the contents of the prayer itself. The question is, is the prayer to be recited? Jesus says, pray then like this, right? I mean, you see it, it's what, what he says right here. Verse 9, pray then like this, and then he gives us words that like you could say out loud in prayer. Now, the Jewish faith has consistently fashioned memorable prayers and, and beautiful benedictions. And the idea of these prayers would, would be that these prayers would be repeated at certain times and in certain circumstances and contexts as a reminder of a particular truth or as a way of engaging the heart and mind in the spiritual realities of everyday life. The beautiful collection and tradition of, of benedictions that the people of God had in all of these often mundane circumstances that were to remind them of the spiritual realities of their God in the midst of everyday life. I think that this 
prayer of Jesus stands in that tradition. And what that means is the Lord's prayer is to be actually prayed. It's to be actually repeated. That these words are supposed to become our words to our Father. And yet, the word the question that I ask is the Lord's prayer to be recited. And I don't think that the word recited is quite the right word here, at least not that how we most often use the word recited. Most of the times in my life when I'm instructed to recite something, think with me, you've been instructed to recite something certain times in your life. For me, it, it normally means that I've memorized something, That something is to be said word for word, typically in front of a group of people. And after I'm done saying those words in front of that group of people, I am free. I'm released of any obligation to care about or remember those words, right? That's what a recital is, at least in my mind. So no, I just can't think that we are to recite the Lord's Prayer if that's what we're getting at. The point is this, I, I, I do actually have to care about what is memorized. I do need to actually know what is memorized, what it actually means. You see, recital is for the mind, but it doesn't actually have to mean anything. The recital is with the lips, but not with the heart. Now, there is a biblical word for us here. And I, like I said, I don't think it's recital. I think the biblical word for us when it comes to the Lord's Prayer or any prayer or memorization of the Scriptures, recitation of the Scriptures maybe, isn't reciting at all. It's actually meditation. Okay. Now there's another word that we don't understand today, but it's used in the Scripture, so it's worth recovering what it means according to the Scripture. What does meditation mean? I'm going to give us five psalms. Okay, In the midst of the psalms, we have the psalmist throughout meditating. Psalm 104, verse 34. May my meditation be pleasing to him, for I rejoice in the Lord. Okay, the the psalmist's meditation is upon the Lord that he would rejoice or take joy in the Lord. All right, this is the purpose of meditation. Psalm 119, 15 through 16. I will meditate on your precepts. You see, meditation has a content. Okay, Meditation is not absence thought. Meditation is to be filled with thought. I fix my eyes on your ways. And all of a sudden I remember the title of this sermon series and the Sermon on the Mount is the way of the king, right? What do we meditate on? I meditate on his way. And we've given words for what his way means. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. Meditation is a means by which we don't forget, but in a place of forgetting, we begin to delight so that we can't forget. Psalm 143, verse 5, I remember the days of old. I meditate on all that you have done. I have to think the reason why he remembers the days of old is because he's meditated upon those days. I ponder the work of your hands. It goes over him, over and over. I remember that time. I remember that time. Do you remember the time? And all of a sudden, it's a corporate event as, they, as he shares together with those around him 
the work of the hands of the Lord, and even writes a song about it. Back to Psalm 19, verse 14. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart. There's, there's an engagement. There's words of the mouth, and then there's an engagement of the heart, an intentionality that is connected with the words of the mouth. You see, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. A psalmist is confident about the, who the Lord is, and so he connects the words of his mouth that are given to us. We have those. We don't have to be creative about that. He engages his heart in a meditation upon those words. Psalm 63, verses 5 through 8. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food. I'm liking this. Sounding good. And my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. You know, the imagery, come on now, engage with. Do you see those words? These joyful lips are literally dripping with grease. They're so satisfied. All right? When I remember you upon my bed. So this is not talking about a meal table, though this person has been feasting. They're not even out of bed yet. This isn't even breakfast, but it's more satisfying. When I remember you on my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night. For you have been my help. And in the shadow of your wings, I will sing for joy. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. What is meditation? It's to cling to the Lord with the intentionality of the mind, the lips, the heart, the desires the whole being filling up with the knowledge of God and the desire for God and the satisfaction of being with him. Now, the word meditate carries with it the idea of murmuring. And in many ways, it's a difficult word to translate because we don't really have a word for it anymore because meditate has been co-opted with a foreign concept to the way it's used in the scriptures. Meditation is not the emptying of the mind. It's not the focus on some meaningless word so that we are emptied of desires. The word meditation is to be filled with words and to mumble them, to have them. So you're going, God is the one who rescued us from Egypt. He's the one who brought us across the Red Seas. God is the Redeemer. He's a rock in the and we have words and we're mumbling in them. They're just right on the lips and our mind are full. And we think, oh, I would decide because the fact is right now I'm on this side of the Red Sea. But I need to be rescued from my sin and brought to the So God, do that in me. And you see there's a desire that rises up in prayer as we remember the ways of God. And we mumble and murmur and work our way through recounting the ways and the rescue and the salvation of our God. And it becomes the desire of our heart. And we say, Lord, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Because we've meditated, mumbled our way. It's like a person who gets a song stuck in their head. You know what that's like. I hope you got the song that we just played stuck in your head. I hope that David and the band continually get songs stuck in our head. You keep going over the song, beginning to end, or getting stuck on a little refrain in the middle, and the the mouth throughout the day keeps forming the words, almost involuntarily 
forming the words, and you find that as you walk, you take steps to the cadence and rhythm of the song. Do you know what I'm talking about? Like you're walking along, and you find that you're, you're humming some song in your head, and your legs are literally taking those steps to that rhythm. Maybe that's just Brad who knows what that's talking about. Maybe it's just the percussionist. But that's the way that the Lord's Prayer can work. That is, it gets stuck in our head. Our walk would literally start to be shaped by it. The point is this. The Lord's Prayer is supposed to get stuck in your head. Perhaps you ought to pray with these words repeated in the morning and in the evening. But the the point of those prayers is to get the song stuck in your head and begin to walk to the cadence in your life. The Lord's Prayer is a gift to the church to shape the whole of our being, not just words in the morning, or else his instruction about the hypocrite wouldn't make any sense. Now, the lead pastors, pastors of Cross Point churches were talking about this week, and um, we were asking the question, is the Lord's Prayer to be repeated, or is it something like a summary or an outline for prayer? And to be honest, if we mean what the Psalms mean above, I don't think that there's a difference between the two. Can you say words without thinking thoughts in your head? Try it. Try to think daily bread and not think about a variety of foods. And then realize that actually I don't have a problem with that, but that there's actually a lot of other provisions that I have not depended upon the Lord for or that I am actually in need of. And your mind begins to mumble and meditate and work its way through the meaning of the words, give us this day our daily bread. If we say those words slowly and with intentionality, our minds begin to think what they mean. When we say the words, hallowed be your name, I can't help but think your name. Your name is holy. Your name is high. Your name is lifted up. And yet, your name is Father. And you hear me. That the transcendent has become imminent to incline his ear, to listen to me in secret, in this secret place. So am I praying Jesus' words, or am I using them like a summary? And the answer, I think, for us is both. The, word, then the words themselves call to mind their meaning. And as I actually engage my heart and my mind in, in meditative prayer, my mind and my lips begin to murmur, that is to pray what the Lord sees in the secret place. So what I want to do with the remainder of our time, and we have to go quickly because I want to make sure that we have time to spend in prayer together. I want to spend the remainder of our reflection just briefly looking at each of the sections of the prayer so that we might be well informed when we pray together. Now, the passage, the prayer begins, if you look at it with me in verse 9, with our Father in heaven. It's the beginning, it's the address One significant truth that Jesus brings to us in his life and ministry is how consistently his relationship with God is referred to as with his Father. His prayer is to Abba. It's the most simple way for a person to address his or her Father. It's something like, dearest Father, is the meaning and the content behind the word. 
Jesus taught his disciples to call out to God in the same way. Jesus, whose Father in heaven gives now to his disciples that same Father. John 17, verses 25 through 26. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these that you have sent me, that is, the disciples, I've made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. And what is that love? It's the love of the Father. Father is the name that Jesus has made known to us. Oh, we knew his name, but we didn't know that his name was Father. Jesus' prayer is that we would know the love of the Father, and so we would be adopted as his children. What is the name that is hallowed? Father. Our Father in heaven. J.I. Packer says very simply, Father is the Christian name for God. You want to call him by name? My children don't call me Jeremiah. I often am reminded, and I remind the church, God our Father, Christ our brother. But let us remember that God is our Father because of the work of Christ our brother. He is the firstborn. He is the only begotten. And we, by means of his work, are adopted into this family. And we receive his Father as our Father. We cry, dearest Father, because Jesus has made the Father known to us. Us. Look at the words again. Our Father in heaven. This prayer is a corporate prayer. Even when it's said in the solitude of the morning, just after snoozing alarm, and there's a good practice for you. Is there a better way to use nine minutes? Then to pray the Lord's Prayer, we're going to do it in a few moments. It's going to take us about nine minutes to do it. To remember that we have a dearest Father. And in praying our Father, to remember we're praying with the family. The family's waking up about now, and the whole family's talking to Papa. Talking to dearest Father. This is our family's prayer. Now, there are five requests or five petitions. The first petition is a petition of reverence. Hallowed be your name. Hallowed means to sanctify or to make, declare, or keep holy. Right at the forefront of our prayer, we remember holy, holy, holy God is the one whom we call Father. You see it? Our Father, holy is your name. Kent Hughes offers us this reflection on Martin Luther's own thoughts about crying out to our Father. We best hallow God's name when our life and our doctrine are truly Christian. When we pray, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, we're dedicating ourselves to live lives that reverence all that he is. That's why I think it's helpful to think of hallowed be your name, meaning we keep your name as holy. How can we keep his name as holy if our mouths confess it in the morning and our hearts desire other things with our day? 
And so there are really four ways in which we hallow his name. I'll just name them for you. We hallow his name in our understanding. We seek to know him more. We, we search out the doctrines, the teachings of the scriptures, that when we call out to the Father, we know who he is. And as we know who he is, we know more about the way that he is holy. So in our beliefs, our understanding, we hallow his name. In our worship and our devotion, in our generosity, in our prayer, in our fasting, in our worship, in all of our song, we are devoted to the holy name. Thirdly, in our practice, we, we practically walk as though his name was kept holy in our midst. Is there any desire for a, a purity of devotion that leads to a purity of life? Because he's holy. My papa's holy. And this is how the family walks. And fourthly, our mission. We desire and cry out to and keep holy the name of God because we look around and we say, this world does not reverence him the way our father deserves. And that sends us out on mission because we have a means to change that. And it's not complaining. It's not complaining about how our culture's going down. That's not how you change the reverence of our father's name in the culture. It's by means of the proclamation of the gospel that there is a transformation of the human heart. And the ones who did not previously reverence or hallow his name do hallow his name and the prayer is fulfilled. The request, petition, hallowed be your name. And so I go on mission and another hallows his name. It's a devotion, a reverence to our God. The next petition is a petition of devotion. Your kingdom come, your will be done. The question is this, as we pray that, our heart should ask, what do I want? And does it come from God? Faith-filled obedience in the hearts of God's children as the earth is rightly ordered according to the revelation of your will. Is that what I want? Do I want faith-filled obedience ordered away according to the way you have revealed the world to be ordered? Your will be done. Very practically, we can look at it. Remember, the title of the sermon series, I think, is rightly the way of the king. That's what the Sermon on the Mount is. So we can go back to chapter 5 and discover the way of the king. And what we're essentially saying is the way of the king is the way of the family. And Lord God, make it the way of the world. By means of your gospel, transform it so that hearts are no longer angry even. Not only does the world not have murder, but they aren't angry because they're satisfied in their God. Essentially, as Kent Hughes says it so poignantly, in praying this, we invite God to conquer us. We're saying, you're the king, come and conquer. We want the whole world to look like the way that you want it to be. Rule and reign here. There's a time that Jesus did this. If you want to know, is that an easy prayer to pray? Is it easy to say, God, conquer this world with me in it? Luke chapter 22, and he withdrew from them about a stone's throw. Jesus withdraws into the garden. He knelt down and he prayed, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Are the words of the Lord's prayer to be prayed by those who follow after him with faith-filled obedience? To the point of crucifixion, we pray, conquer 
the world. And for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. And what is the joy? His joy is that the will of the Father is done on earth as it is in heaven. And the joy of the Son is found in the will of the Father. And so he devotes himself to to the way of the King and he walks to its rhythm to the cross. And what does he get? Resurrection to the right hand of the Father Almighty. This is what it means to pray. In devotion, your kingdom come. The prayer continues. To a physical dependence, give us this day our daily bread. Daily, every new day dawns with a new dependence. Today, again, I'm in need. Today, we need your provision. Man doesn't live by bread alone, it's true. But no man... Man lives according to the way that God has created us, according to the will and provision of the Father. And he's made us as a people who are needy and weak apart from his physical provision. And so we pray, give us this day our daily bread. So we confess our dependence upon him. We confess that if the will of the Father for us today is to eat, we'll eat. The end. We lean on the generosity of dearest Father daily. What an orientation. What a new way to think of the day as a day that is leaning upon the will of our dearest Father. Now, look at it with me again. Give us this day our daily bread. And there we are. It's the family praying again. It's not, hey, God, You know me? Of course you know me. I'm your kid. I have some needs today. And you're generous. And it would be nice if you would give them to me. Rather, it's it's a people. It's a whole people. It's a family who are situated around the Father and say, Father, we're your family. And you've created us as a people who are utterly dependent in this world particular that is so broken. It's broken by sin and Darkness and our own wandering, as we'll confess in just a moment. But we're a family who are dependent upon the provision of the Father. Will you provide for us? And all of a sudden, my mind goes to, man, I'm so well provided for. Like, I I have every single reason to believe that food, bread, will not be a problem for me today. But that's not true of the whole of the family. Father. And all of a sudden, instead of just listening, Father, give me bread. Our prayer lingers there for the family. Give us this day our daily bread, our physical dependence, and it continues with our spiritual dependence. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. This is the other half of our dependence. Our forgiveness and the forgiveness that we bring to others is situated in the context, literally in the sentence about dependence upon God. The fact is that the whole of that sentence can be wrapped up in this phrase that we are a needy people with a God who provides. We're a needy people and we remember that we're a needy people as we forgive others. There is an order of our need. And the order of our need is our indebtedness, which compels our generosity of the indebtedness of others. We forgive us as we forgive others. Now, I'll be honest, I read that, and it's fearful 
But then when I, I consider what it means if it's believed and walked out in faith, I love the Lord's way. The way of the Lord is forgiveness, top to bottom. It's the order of the kingdom. It's the way of the Father, and it's the way of the children. I like that. That's compelling. It's fearful for what I know it means for me. But when I step out of that, I say, man, but it's good. This isn't a problem passage. This is a gift. Look at verses 14 and 15 that give us an explanation of this. Jesus knows we're going to get hung up here, so he says it clearly. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. He leaves no dispute. He states it positively. He states it negatively. It's really quite simple, clear, and direct. If we do not forgive, clearly we are not a kingdom people. There's no way that person is a child of that Father. We don't love God, we don't love his way, if we are not a people who forgive. A people who forgive, who are forgiven, forgive. The end. There's no theological wrangling to do here. There's very little to explain except for it's true, he says it clearly. A people who are forgiven, forgive. Forgiveness is the way of the kingdom people. It's the way of the children of the Father. That's why he says, blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. There's one more petition, and it's a petition of discipleship. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Easy summary, lead us, because we're followers. It's the petition of discipleship. His path will lead us into righteousness, not evil. We confess it and we ask for it. We say that that is our desire for you to lead the way you do. And when we find ourselves wandering or mired in sin or find ourselves suffering evil in this world, Father, deliver us. That's what you do. We should pause there and remember the gospel of Jesus Christ that when we say that it is by means of Christ that we have the Father, it's by means of his death. Because he died so that we might have our debts relieved. He paid the debt on the cross for us that we might not be led into evil, but might be delivered. And he rose. He rose victorious over sin and death to declare that the payment worked, that The debt has been paid and life has been purchased so that we might live with the Father, following him on this path of discipleship that leads us not into temptation, but rather righteousness and delivers us from evil into the holy presence of our God. Now, we have an opportunity. We have an opportunity to practice prayer together. I would encourage us with this and Like I said, this isn't the staff getting together and dreaming up a strategy for how to get the church to pray. The fact is, I know you're praying. But I would ask that we could do at least one thing, that this morning we could agree together to this one practice, and then the Holy Spirit would work among us and show us how to pray and grow in prayer from there. That we would agree together to pray the Lord's Prayer, these words with an engaged heart of meditation in the morning and in the evening in the coming days. 
that the very first thing, I like to wake up to my iPhone. I play stupid little games on here. And it's real easy for me to make the argument to my heart that the first thing that I need in the morning is to wake up. And so I go to some stupid little game and I click on the things and coins go up and I feel really good about myself. And there's my provision for the day. But what if the practice that God has, has gifted to us as a people, we said the first thing that happens, I hit the snooze. Now I've got nine minutes. Let's get to work. And to be honest, I'm probably going to fall asleep at minute four, but I can at least recite it and meditate as long as it'll let me and the alarm will get me in just a minute. That in the morning and in the evening, the church would pray the Lord's Prayer. Now there's a word that I'm going to use at the end of that sentence. You can hear it already, right? That we would pray the Lord's Prayer together. Because our Father sees the church dispersed all over this county and all over this world in our secret prayer in the morning. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to close our time praying together. In just a moment, we're going to turn down the lights and I'm going to lead us through these six sections, the introduction and the five petitions. We're going to give you about a minute and a half in each, and I would encourage you to do this. You are welcome to pray right there in secret, in quietness and silence, right in your seat. If you would like to sort of slide up next to somebody and and pray with them, and your mouths are welcome to move them, you're welcome to whisper a prayer together. Pray the Lord's Prayer, and then pray the thoughts that come to your mind as you do so. And let's just spend about 10 minutes in prayer together. So, let's turn on the lights. Feel free to move up next to somebody if you would like to pray there with someone in your seat or simply pray on your own. Let's pray. Father, we do not believe that we would be heard because of our many words. We believe that we are heard because of the perfect, sufficient, and completed work of our elder brother, Jesus Christ. And so we confess that you are Father. Lord, we pray to you and know that you hear. You know that you hear even what is not said in our hearts as we think on these things this morning. We pray that you would teach your church how to pray. That you would remove fear. Some are here are, are terrified that someone would actually ask them to pray out loud. Lord, I pray that you would teach us how to pray in secret together, in the belief that you hear us, that we are a family together. Lord, eliminate pride and hypocrisy in our words, in our services, in our gatherings, in your elders and in community group leaders. Remove pretension. Lead us to the Father. Give us a desire for you and the way that you have taught us to pray. And I pray that we would see the fruitfulness of a people in daily dependence. As we follow after you where you lead, it won't be in temptation, but will be in beauty, won't be in evil, but will be in what you deem good for your church to walk. Thank you, Father. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.